Connor relaxed and smiling. Oh! He slapped him! I don't like you because you're dangerous. I don't give a fuck what you say, motherfucker. Yes! He shot! He has done it! Maverick, we're hit, we're hit again! Damn it, Maverick! I'm on my way. Three, two, one. be my wingman anytime this is the believe in mma mavericks podcast featuring your hosts mike straka and ike feldman hey welcome to mma mavericks i'm mike straka along with my co-host ike feldman ike big big week we had conor mcgregor coming back we had cyborg destroying julia budd in bellator in her debut making history, and also Stephen A. Smith picking a fight with Joe Rogan. <laughs> That's the, my favorite part about this. Forget all the fights, forget all the blood that was spilt, but there's a lot of drama going outside the cage between two commentators. It, it's ridiculous. Listen, I worked with Stephen A. Smith back at Fox News Channel uh, probably about eight years ago, and he was in Philadelphia. He was, in a, he was a radio commentator and he would come up and do Fox and Friends. And I will say this about Stephen A. Smith. He's a smart guy, and he works really hard. But he was wrong with what he said about Cowboy. Agreed. And Joe Rogan was right for calling him out. But then Stephen A. went above and beyond and embarrassed himself with that video response, which I thought was just amateurish man like somebody who makes the money he makes listen you got to pick your battles you don't pick a battle with joe rogan yeah that's the cream of the crop when it comes to mma and it was like a white belt with the black belt it was pretty embarrassing it was very embarrassing you know and then he released that video of him with that freaking mitt session where he looked like a clown yeah, I don't know the timing or the timeline of this. You can't be talking crap. You can't be diminishing what Conor McGregor did in 40 seconds, a former two-division champion, and then releasing that video. Just a bad look overall for Stephen A. Smith. Oh, my God. It was like, you remember when Chuck Liddell released video when he was going to fight Tito Ortiz? And yes, Bellator? yes, yes. And I'm like, why would you release that video? You're, <laughs> you're a legend in this sport. You look horrible. And... I got to tell you, Stephen A. Smith, my daughter, who is 16 years old, and my other daughter, who's 11, can strike better than what Stephen A. Smith released. You're a worldwide famous person. There's nothing in your, in your like, instincts, in your bones that say, maybe I shouldn't release this video. Yeah, the time was awful, man. And whoever was filming and the, the guy holding the mitts, like, they're to blame, too. They, they, they're afraid, I guess, to tell him the truth about the matter. The best comment I saw about the video was, is he about to fight Mini-Me and Dr. Evil? Because I, I don't know what the hell he was punching at, below the waist, above the shoulder. I mean, figure it but, out, Stephen A. I also, I, you know, I like Stephen A. Smith. Like I said, I work with him at Fox News. I think he's a nice guy, and I know he works hard. I know he works course, hard. Of course, of course. And he's worked really hard to get to where he is. But, man, don't try to act tough, especially <laughs> when you're talking to UFC fighters, especially when you're talking to Joe Rogan, Cowboy Cerrone, Conor McGregor. You don't do that, man. It's like me trying to fight Frankie Edgar and acting like I'm tough. No, no. 
Frankie Edgar is, is, is humoring himself, is humoring me, by the way. Like, okay, Mike, I'll, I'll spar with you. Yeah. I'm going to kick your ass, but I'll spar with you. Like, I know better. I know when Frankie's playing with me. I know when Henzo Gracie's playing with me. And Steve- we mentioned this before, stepping into the Mike Strocker or Ike Feldman octagon, which is the octagon of verbalage and no physicality. But Stephen A. Smith stepped into Joe Rogan's world and I don't know if he would disrespect the Joe or maybe that he's just so into his shtick that he can't differ or switch lanes. He thought that maybe he could pull a fast one. Joe, I loved him because he was standing up for the MMA community. He goes, I disagree. Connor did show us something. And he went on to elaborate what Connor showed us. But I appreciate Joe on SportsCenter, on ESPN, primetime, following the fight, sticking up for the MMA community and not being intimidated by the persona that is Stephen A. Smith. And I, you know, I'll tell you, Stephen A. has a brand. Yeah. And he stuck to his brand. I'll, I'll give him that. He stuck to his brand. He's going to be the controversial guy. He's going to be the, the rabble rouser. And that's okay. We all need that in sports. But you don't disrespect Cowboy Cerrone. That was bad. That was bad. In Stephen A. Smith's defense, I've done a lot of research, listened to all the videos, listened, read all the articles. He did not say the word quit. He said folded. He said gave up. But Joe Rogan's on his podcast saying he said quit. Conor McGregor in that uh, Twitter reply to Stephen A's kitchen video, whatever you want to call that, he said he said quit. He never said the word quit. I mean, Mike, I know you with your reporting and your books and everything. You have to be a very prestigious journalist. He didn't say the word quit. Yeah, he said folded. He said gave up. Those are synonyms of quit. But he never said the word quit. Listen, I understand being in the moment. You know, I had a moment with Jim Miller on my uh, Spike TV show and everybody came down on me, like all these fanboys and, you know, these people from Bloody Elbow, like, oh, Mike Strzok, I disrespected Jim Miller. Jim Miller's a friend of mine. <laughs> you know, you know, I, you know, we were talking about something and I said, you don't deserve a title shot. Whatever I said, I don't remember what I said, but I know I got a lot of heat from it. Jim didn't give a shit. Jim was like, whatever, Mike. And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. Give me a beer. Like, we were, we were <laughs> drinking beer that Jim Miller brewed himself. Wow. And, and I don't know, wh- I, I don't even remember what I said, but it offended everybody in the MMA community. And I was like the pariah of the MMA community in like 2014 because I, I apparently said Jim Miller didn't deserve a title shot. And Jim and I laughed about it. We weren't even like, and I didn't even know it was a controversy until the next day when I got, a million Twitter tweets saying you suck. So, you know, I can understand how Stephen A could say something not realizing what he's saying. I've been there. I've done it. And I can tell you right now, Jim Miller wasn't offended. Jim Miller and I had barbecue after that. I was going to say this MMA community, the underground, the Twitter, the Instagram, the the Reddit community, that's a little sad because you're a martial arts practitioner yourself. You're passionate. You have a mixed martial arts show and for them to attack you is pretty petty and uh, undeserved. Uh, that's pretty sad of them. I mean, I, I feel Stephen A. deserves it because he's throwing out these, like, his, he's doing his normal stick, as you said. He's stuck in that lane, that personality, where he calls out LeBron James. He calls out Durant. But it's not basketball, and it's not baseball. And Joe Rogan alluded to this. You got to respect mixed martial arts because of the consequence, the personal emotional, physical consequence that goes into a mixed martial arts fight. You don't get to turn over and have a game in one or two days like baseball or basketball. 
that's where he was telling Stephen A. Smith to pump the brakes. I 100% agree with that take. 100%. And, you know, Mike Chiapetta wrote a great column on MMA fighting. I think it was yesterday or today. You know, Chiapetta said, listen, there's nobody you can blame. There's nobody you can say, oh, my teammates dropped the ball. You're out there. You're out there on your own. And you're putting yourself out there. And Cowboy got his orbital bone broke and his nose broke within 40 seconds. Yeah. That's personal. That's a very personal thing. And for Stephen A to say, oh, he quit, he folded, he gave up. We all know who Cowboy is. Ike, you and I know who Cowboy Cerrone is. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. <laughs> Dude, he's a savage. He's a and savage. And not only that, but Stephen A also, listen, and I like Stephen A. I, like I said, I work with him at Fox News, and I know he works hard. I know he works hard. I've seen him do it. I've seen him fail, and I've seen him get back up on his feet and fucking try again, and he succeeded. And now he's like a big-time dude on ESPN, which is the number one place to be if you're a sports broadcaster. So Stephen A made it, and I've seen him fail, and I watched him get back up on his feet and do it again. So props to Stephen A. Smith. But, man, you don't say Cowboy Cerrone gave up. Because Cowboy Cerrone is a fucking legend in our sport. Not to mention, Stephen A. also made the faux pas of saying that Cowboy was fighting in his first pay-per-view. I know. I know. And, and Joe, again, was very polite and not disrespectful on the platform. For whatever reason, maybe on a longer-form platform, he would kill him. But, yeah, I heard that, too. I was like, Cowboy's been – he was just at UFC 238 against Tony Ferguson. Uh, I was like, uh, Stephen A., you need to check yourself. And uh, the, the greatest quote, I, I just heard this quote that just came out. Errol Hawani had Stephen A. Smith to kind of clear the air and give himself some publicity. Stephen A. Smith doubled and tripled down. You know what he says? To cover his own ass and to kind of just prompt himself up again. Because some of these guys, don't their ego, they can't admit they're wrong. He says, man, I'm using my platform and my number to give these guys these combatants in the cage, the publicity. They deserve my numbers. They deserve my voice to be spoke about. And I was like, this narcissistic son of a bitch. I go, he tripled down and he figured out a way out of this. He can't admit he's wrong. No, he can't. But that, that's, you know, that's endemic in, in media. It's Great word. Endemic. Great word. It's endemic in media. Like, look at, look at Rachel Maddow. Look at, you know, Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity. True, uh, true. You know, they're all in, they're all narcissistic. They all think that without me, you couldn't be where you are. <laughs> Meanwhile, these guys out there are getting their jaws broken. Colby Covington, as much as I don't like Colby Covington's shtick, right, right. his last fight, he proved to me that he's a warrior. A warrior. You know, and Tyrone Woodley came out this week on Ariel's show and said, oh, you know, Kobe lost his fight, but everybody said he's so tough because he fought with a broken jaw. How come, yeah. nobody, how come, nobody, credit, how come nobody credits me because I fought with a broken ankle and I still won the fight? People are, 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 are rejoicing a guy who lost a fight with a broken jaw. Listen, Tyron, I like Tyron Woodley, but man, Kobe's tough. And, I, and you know what? I hope, I hope Tyron comes back and wins his belt back. I really do. I hope he proves he's right. But you still can't take away from what Colby did in that last fight. Yeah. As much as I don't, I don't like his shtick, I think he's a douchebag. 
<laughs> but he's a tough dude. Yeah, Ta- uh, Tyron, at least you got to take your hat off for that performance. And I heard, I heard more praise for them shutting up Colby than uh, more people speaking about uh, recognizing what Colby did and how he survived the broken jaw for at least a couple of rounds and showed a lot of grit and toughness. Everybody took their hats off. But Tyron's just looking for the, the needle in the haystack or the, the hair in the egg there. I don't know if he's just trying to motivate himself. He needs to work on fighting. He needs to work on getting back in the win column and uh, stop putting uh, rap albums and stop so much with this TMZ stuff. Get back in the cage. Go to London. Knock out Leon Edwards in a couple of months. And then talk your crap. Don't try to pick at a guy who just had a title fight who's now recovering from a jaw injury. Tyron, worry about yourself a little. You know, it reminds me of a time I was in Denver, Colorado, and Rashad Evans came up to me and said, hey, Straka, you said I need media lessons. Oh, my gosh. You said I need media (laughs) training. Good, I did. I said that on my show. I said, Rashad Evans needs media training. I said, because God, because Rashad was a great fighter. Yeah, of course, of course. But the fans hated him, and they booed him. And he couldn't understand why they were booing him. Why are these people booing me? I'm out here and I'm putting my life on the line and I'm leaving it all in the octagon. And they're still booing me. And I said, Rashad, you need media training because you say the wrong things. Well, about three weeks later, he came out in a press conference and he was fighting the kid from Penn State. And he said, I'm gonna put my hands, I'm gonna put my hands on you more than that football coach did on those little boys. Oh, yeah, you need media training. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> and you know what? It was Phil Davis. He was fighting Phil Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he got a huge backlash. Dana White had to apologize. UFC had to apologize. Rashad had to apologize. And I said, now you get it, Rashad? I wasn't, I wasn't saying you were stupid. I wasn't saying that you were not worthy. I was saying you just don't know the right things to say. Like that's media training 101. You don't make a joke about fucking kids getting molested by the football coach. The irony of this all, now Rashad has worked on the desk and does UFC coverage and media coverage. It's crazy. A total 180. Yep. And I, I actually tweeted him one day. I go, Hey Rashad, you no longer need media training, and he, he, uh, he responded with a with a smiley face because he understood because yeah. he finally understood what I was talking about. I wasn't talking about I, I don't know what he thought I was saying, but when he said that, I and he got that backlash. I said that's what I'm talking about. You don't say things like there's no reason the fans don't like you. You're a great fighter. You're a great person. I like Rashad Evans. I think Rashad is the coolest guy in the sport. You know, Josh Koscheck's another guy who, who needs media training. You know, look, you know, who, you know who's got it down? He just retired, Josh Thompson. Yes, yes. Josh Thompson, you know, back in 2010, I had him on my Fighting Word show on HDNet. And I said to him, dude, you're way too good looking to be a fighter. You should be a fucking <laughs> commentator. He goes, one day, maybe when I retire, well, guess what? It's nine years later, he's retired, and guess what he's doing? He's going to go into broadcasting on Spike TV, or I'm, I'm sorry, Paramount Television. Good for you, Josh. Was he Good always, that 10 years ago, was he that smooth? I got to speak to him during the McGregor 
uh, Mayweather, Radio Row, and he spoke well and he told me what endeavors he's getting into. But 10 years or nine years ago, was he, was, did he always speak that well? He always spoke that well. You know, there, there are very few fighters. Actually, that's not true. There's a lot of fighters that I've spoken to over the years who are eloquent and who can speak the game. Josh Thompson is on top. Gil Melendez is on top. Randy Couture is on top. George St. Pierre is on top. Yeah. These people knew how to speak the language and walk the walk, the walk and be eloquent and be art, articulate and, and just be really good ambassadors for the sport. I don't think there's any bigger ambassador for UFC or for MMA than Randy Couture. Randy Couture back in 2001 was the ambassador of the sport. You know, we didn't have – Tito Ortiz couldn't – he couldn't hold an interview. Chuck Liddell could barely stay awake. Yeah. During- <laughs> you know, and, and when I was at Fox News Channel, I was pushing and pushing and saying, I got to get these guys on TV. And I, my bosses were like, we don't want these fucking cage warriors on our channel. What are you doing, Mike? And you know what I did? I presented them Randy Couture. And Randy Couture, the only reason... I was approved to do Fox fight game, which was my show on foxnews.com was because the first person I put on was Randy Couture, who was eloquent and smart. And yeah, he was a badass fighter and he had cauliflower ears, but he was smart and eloquent and articulate. I couldn't do that. If I put on Chuck Liddell, forget about it. Right. It feeds into that stereotype. Yeah, that, that's what I've been trying to break those stereotypes myself, explaining to people that they're not just cage fighters. Don't be afraid because of the scar tissue or the, the folded ears. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of respects, these amateur wrestlers and the kids that transition from college wrestling to mixed martial arts, they've stayed in school longer in college yeah. longer because there's no draft. They didn't go to the NFL draft, the NBA draft, the MLB draft. They had to stay four or five years to get their degree. So they're probably a little more educated, a little more street smart than some of these pro athletes that you see making 10 times as much money, which is pretty ironic. <laughs> and, you know, another, another person who really turned the tides on, on 60 Minutes of all places, which is the grand poobah yeah. of network news. Yep, yep, yep. Henzo Gracie. Oh, they did a piece on Henzo? Well-deserved. That's awesome. Well, he was in IFL. And he choked out Pat Militich with a guillotine choke in the IFL. And Henzo, Henzo was like, you know, again, I got a full disclosure. I'm, I'm, I'm team, team Henzo Gracie. He's my, he's my instructor. I'm there with Joe Sampieri. I'm there with John Danaher. I'm there with Sapo Natal. I train with these guys. And Henzo's, he's the boss. That being said, this is before I trained with him. This is back in 2008 when he was in IFL. He was on 60 Minutes. Scott Pelley did a piece on Henzo Gracie and Pat Militich. And it was one of the greatest things for MMA because it was a mainstream, a very serious news program that focused on the IFL, Henzo Gracie and Pat Militich. And both of those guys, Pat included, articulate, smart, great fighters. And it was... An, you have to go, Ike, if you haven't seen it, you got to go back and look at it. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Yeah, I, I want to see it, man. Uh, 60 Minutes and, and Scott Pelley, they do a great job. Yeah, go back and look at it because it's, it's a great piece. And I didn't, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I watched Pride 
but I didn't, I didn't really follow Henzo's career. When I met him, he was the most charismatic person I've ever met in my life. Funny, humble, and a guy who can choke you out at, at will. <laughs> but he was humble and funny and, and, and also witty and just really intelligent and smart. And I think that's what makes, listen, we all know, you and I know, because we're both, you know, Ariel Hawani knows and Ben Folks knows and Mike Chiapetta knows and Chuck Minahal knows. We're, we're covering people that are worthy of covering. People who fight for a living, especially MMA fighters, are mostly humble guys. You want to know why? Because they don't have to prove anything to anybody. They're fighters. They do it. They know what they can do. They have to prove it to themselves. They're out there prove. They're not fighting their opponent. They're fighting themselves every time they go out there. Paige Van Sant just broke her arm again. And guess what? She's going to be out there in six more months fighting again. People who fight. Look at, look at Cyborg. Look what she just did last Saturday. Amazing. It, dealing with all that controversy, I'm sure the depression of switching leagues so many times, and then she bounces back strong way, sets another record. Uh, I think she, we could finally put the Amanda Nunes loss to a side. But yeah, it's like we should prompt up those type of fighters and the Anderson Silvas or the Stephen Thompsons a lot more. I know we're in the Conor McGregor era, and I thank him for bringing uh, the WME into the picture and getting it on the ESPN platform. Thank you, Connor. I'm appreciative of that. But ESPN needs to do a better job at prompting up the, the true martial artists, like the Henzos, like the Chris Cyborgs. Do the Sunday conversations. Do the Ariel Hawani or whoever, Brett Akamoto's. Do the walk-arounds with these true martial artists because that should be, and it is at its core, but it should be. The public should know this, that that at its core is mixed martial arts. Hum and humility. Since you broke it up, you, you brought it up. I got to tell you, the ESPN era of UFC has been chauffeured in by none other than Ariel Hawani. And Ariel Hawani has done us proud. He is knowledgeable. He is, he is rational. He is just thorough and so good. And I'm so, not to be, not to be, you know, condescending, but I'm so proud of him because he's done such a great job in ushering the mainstream audience into mixed martial arts in a way that I don't think I could do, to be honest. No, you know, I've, I've said that to my wife. I go, you know what? I respect Ariel. I think it like that type of character, that type of guy is the guy that, we need at this time to get that sport because if we had some ball busting crazy lunatics named Mike and Ike ushering into the sport to the ESPN, it would never make the ESPN. We'd be on spike. We'd be on Fox. We'd be wild. We'd be crazy. ESPN wouldn't want to pick that up. They have this journalist who is word for word, well-spoken cerebral. Yeah. It's like, that's perfect. I can't wait for the next wave and it's happening with the MMA Mavericks podcast, but Ariel, He's doing what he's doing in the exact time that he should be doing. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I, I'm really proud of him, man. He, he's done a great job. And, and we all know he's worked his ass off, too. You know, just like Stephen A. Smith worked his ass off. Hey, by the way, I worked my ass off, too. But my point is, Ariel has done a great job. And, by the way, they're putting him on basketball, and I'm seeing him interview basketball players, and he's phenomenal. Yeah, 
uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving them the thumbs up. I'm very proud of them, but I'm like, dude, make some room. Let us slide in there. You know, go cover your basketball. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but no, he's like, he's a real, like he's good, man. And I love, I love the fact that he's doing well and I'm happy for him. You know, I'm really happy for him. Good for him. It's true though. You nailed it though. He's the right person to chauffeur in the sport into ESPN because I've heard this from a, uh, in the, uh, a UFC PR person. They go, Ike, you need to tone it down with the interview. You know, the sport's bloody. All the action already happens in the cage. We don't need anybody to be crazier outside of the cage or making the interviews crazy or pissing off the interviews like a Chris Everett and a Jim Rome. He goes, we don't need that. We just want you to get the facts, promote your show, and that's it. And I go, huh, that's really interesting. I go, Ariel is literally the safe choice right now. Well, Ike. Mm -hmm. Yep, I'm listening. He's a smart choice. He's not the safe choice. <laughs> he's not the safe choice. Don't diminish what he's doing and call it the safe choice. You know, like Ricky Gervais said about James Corden at the Golden Globe Awards, he said, James Corden is a big, fat pussy, and he was also in the movie Cats. Yeah, he went which off, is man. It's a hilarious line, by the Gervais way. Gervais went off. Gervais went hilarious off. line, but but that was kind of that was kind of a, a backhanded compliment to James Corden, who I think is one of the most talented people on television. You know, James Corden is such a funny and happy person. You know, Joey Coco Diaz. You know, you know Uncle Joey. Yeah, who's always on Joe Joe Rogan's podcast. Oh, you cocksucker. <laughs> yeah, well, he said something yesterday on Facebook. He said he, he had a picture of himself laughing hysterically on stage, and he said, if you can't laugh on stage, then you're not having a good show. If you can't have a good time on stage, then you're not having a good show. You have to enjoy the journey, Ike. You have to enjoy the journey. You can't be upset. You can't be jealous. You can't be envious. You can't have a bitter – you can't have a chip on your shoulder. Because that will, that will show through to the audience. Audience doesn't want to see that. And you know what? I've never seen Ariel be, be bitter. I've never seen him be angry. I've never seen him be mean. Yeah, he asked tough questions once in a while. You know, and when, when Nick Diaz said to him, a guy like you would get a slap in my neighborhood. <laughs> he just took it, man. And he said, are you going to slap me? You know, it was, that, that's, that's genius, man. The kid is good. The only, thing the only thing I don't like about him is that he's, he's Canadian. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough, man. These Canadians and their mixed martial arts, they love oh, forget it. Forget about it. Forget My about it. You know who I, you know, I do like George St. Pierre a lot. Yeah. And I, I do like Patrick Cote a lot. And, and uh, uh, Luzau. All these guys, Faraz, Zahabi. I'm a freaking fan of the Canadian fighters because they're badass people, man. Look at Rory McDonald. Tell me Rory McDonald's not a badass fighter. He's a serial killer if he wasn't a fighter. Well, let's not go that far. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a wild man, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he, he's a brutalizer. He's a gentle, uh, gentle lion, but that fight with Robbie Lawler will live in infamy. That was, uh, he gained all my respect in the world. Even though he lost, I'm like, dude, he put it all on the line for that fight. Like every fight with Robbie Lawler is a is a legendary fight. You know, I remember back in like 2008, I was at the North Carolina at the airport, 
at Charlotte Airport. I was, had a layover coming from Vegas. I was going back to Newark and I had a layover about two hours and I went to the bar. No, 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 no secret there. <laughs> went to the bar to have a drink and Monty Cox and Robbie Lawler. You know who Monty Cox is? No, no. It's a funny name though. He was Robbie Lawler's manager. He was uh, Matt Hughes's manager, uh, Silva's manager, uh, Jens Pulver's manager. Monty Cox is a legend, legendary manager in mixed martial arts. He was with Pat Militich back in the day. He had all the fighters. So Monty Cox and Robbie Lawler were sitting at the bar. And I go there and Robbie looks at me and goes, hey, what's up, Mike? Go, hey, what's up, Robbie? And I said to him, I go, hey, man, how old are you anyway? He goes, I'm 24. And I looked at him and I'm like, you're 24 years old? <laughs> he, looked, he looked 40. <laughs> Robbie Lawler had some miles, man. He had some miles on his body. He's been in some wars. Robbie Lawler is a warrior. And man, what he, you know, what he and Rory did was amazing. He's just a great fighter, man. To say the least, man. Yeah, I'm looking up some of Monty Cox stuff. It says he's managed 15 uh, world champions. and Right. Tim Sylvia, Matt Hughes, Jens Pulver, Robbie Lawler. Uh, who else? I don't even know who else anymore. Uh, Jeremy Horn. Like, he was, he was the Pat Militich fighting systems manager. Like he, and Pat Militich, he, he managed him as well. And he's good friends with Big John McCarthy. He's good friends with Randy Couture. Good friends with Chuck Liddell. You know, good friends with Tyson Griffin. All those guys, uh, you know, uh, Nate Quarry. Uh, all those guys from, the, from, from where uh, Randy started out. Just good uh, uh, team quest. Like, he was team quest. He was Pat Militich. Monty Cox is the OG He's the Ali Abdelaziz of, <laughs> of back in the day. He's the Malkikawa before Malkikawa. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, I was going to transition. I was going to say, so you, you think he's a great guy. I was going to say, what do you think about these new age, these modern manager who have just been on the scene for the last maybe five years or so? I'm sure they've worked a lot of years to get to where they are, but we've really only known about them for the last five years with the Ali, the Kawas, the... What is it? Audio Tars. What, what do you think about these guys kind of being the puff daddies to the biggie smalls, like kind of getting the limelight on themselves as well? Does that bother you or is that just part of the shtick? First of all, they've been around a lot longer than five years. I'm saying since the public has really known about them. I interviewed John Jones in 2010 on my Fighting Word show and Malki Kawa was sitting by his side. You know, Ali Abdelaziz was, was managing. Henzo Gracie and Holes Gracie before even Frankie Edgar. Audio Tar has been around. So what's the difference then? The Conor McGregor? Everybody sees that entertainment gets attention. No, the difference is now they're now they're they're making money because back then the UFC was controlling all the cash. So the managers didn't get any credit. They they were lucky to get a contract. They were lucky to get five and five for their fighter. Now they're getting 500,000 and 500,000 for their fighter or in Connor's case 3 million and 3 million for their fighter. So things are different now and they're getting the credit they deserve. Look at 
I'll tell you, man, Malky Kawa has worked his ass off, man. I remember John Jones was one in one when Malky Kawa picked him up. Audio Tar, he picked up Conor McGregor when he was a pimple-faced little kid <laughs> fighting in Ireland. Frankie Edgar was with Sh- uh, Sharon Spencer, who used to be George St. Pierre's uh, manager, when Ali picked him up. And, you know, there's, there's just things that people don't know about this sport. Managers put a lot out on, on the line. A lot of these guys don't get the credit they deserve. And it's not fair. A lot of these, because, you know, MMA fans are fickle. And, and they're also uninformed. You know, they look at a guy like Ali and they give him shit. Ali has worked his ass off. Shari Spencer worked her ass off for George St. Pierre. You know, Shari Spencer got George St. Pierre signed by CAA. George St. Pierre was the first UFC fighter to get a Gatorade sponsorship and an Under Armour sponsorship. Yeah, I that was that. Shari Spencer who did that. People don't know that. They don't know that how hard. You know, she was big in the tennis world. Now, in, in fact, she works for USA Tennis. So she had connections that other managers in, in the MMA world never had. You know, when you work at USA Tennis, you know Under Armour. You know Kevin Plank, who owns Under Armour. You know the guy who runs Gatorade. You know Tony Pontura, who ran Anheuser-Busch and, and all their marketing and Budweiser Light. Do you think – you know how Anheuser-Busch got into the UFC? Come on, man. There, it, there's so many backdoor channels that people don't know about, and there's so many people that deserve credit for the rise. And it's – you know – and. Dana White worked his butt off, and so did Lorenzo Fertitta. And I'm not taking anything away from him, but there are other people who helped him out. You know, Charles Mask Lewis, Punk Ass, Scrape, the Tap Out guys, they did so much for the sport. They brought in so much money and so much, so many, so much uh, attention to the sport. They had a show on freaking Versus Network, the Tap Out show, where they went around, they discovered Cowboy Cerrone. They were part of, like, the buildup of MMA. The Ultimate Fighter was a time buy. Lorenzo Fertitta put out $40 million to fund The Ultimate Fighter on Spike TV because Kevin Kay, the president of Spike, they didn't, he wasn't going to pay for that. And it wasn't until Stephen Bonner and Forrest Griffin had a war on live television and they watched the ratings go up minute by minute because people were calling all their friends going, you got to turn on Spike TV right now. This is a fucking war. There are so many people that deserve credit for the rise of the sport. David Hill, the president of Fox Sports, signed a $1 billion, well, $700 million contract to bring the UFC to Fox Sports and Fox Sports 1 because when they launched Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2, they needed, a, they needed something to be their marquee to, to take on ESPN and they built up the sport to the point where ESPN said, okay, contracts up. We'll take you. We'll take you to the tune of $4 billion. Do you think that Ari Emanuel spent $4.3 billion on UFC, not knowing that, the, that ESPN, the, the worldwide leader in sports and one of Disney's biggest properties, wasn't going to take him. Of course he knew that because he's Ari Emanuel. He's William Morris Endeavor. Do you think Ronda Rousey would be in the WWE without Ari Emanuel? Of course not. Of course, of course not. not. But, Mike, I, I think we're drifting. Uh, my original thing was about 
the managers kind of jumping in the limelight. I understand uh, better than most about what it takes about the hard work and the built up. I'm the one who credits Conor McGregor and tells everybody to watch the notorious documentary to see all the hard work and the elbow grease that he put in that all that persona that you see in the cage and on the press conference is because of his hard work. I'm the one who pushes for that. What I'm saying is when Ali Abdelaziz slaps another manager at a PFL event and he's making headlines and he's getting into arguments with Conor McGregor at the UFC 229 press conference and he's making headlines of his own and he's doing a lot of kind of narcissistic interviews with Hawani and then we kill Stephen A. Smith who is saying that his platform and his persona yeah we all know that Stephen A. Smith is a hard worker and I'm glad you addressed that early on in this podcast but do you have a problem with Stephen A. Smith using his hard work and his platform and his skills to kind of promote himself? Narcissistically, he says it's coming back around because it promotes the fighters. But the same thing could be applied to Ali Aziz, the way he promotes himself and, quote, unquote, promotes the fighters that he manages. Do, is there a difference? What's your take on yes, it? Yes, it's a total difference because Stephen A. Smith spoke out of turn. He had no idea what he was talking about. He made an ass out of himself. I don't care how, how hard he's worked. I will stand by Joe Rogan. I will stand by every, every MMA fan. And, and listen, I'm not a fan of MMA Twitter because they don't like me. I've been, I've been the subject of, of a couple beatdowns on MMA Twitter. But I, will, I, I have to agree with them. Stephen A. spoke out of turn. He, he, spoken, he, he spoke from a place of non-information. Uh, Okay, and what about Ali specifically? Ali, Ali is a world champion judo player. Ali is a black belt under Henzo Gracie in jiu-jitsu. I've seen Ali train. I've seen Ali throw people around who are his clients. Ali is no joke when it comes to fighting. Right, and right, right. we have to remember, and just like George Masvidal said this week when he got into a confrontation with uh, Usman, Yep. He said, it's the fight game. This is going to happen. This is going to happen in a fight game. And so you're Ali, saying Ali's in the fight game. Ali's a fighter. Ali trained at Jackson Wink long before they were famous. Ali Abdel Aziz was at, at Greg. You could call Greg Jackson right now and ask him, did Ali train with you? Ali slept in the freaking attic at Jackson Wink in Albuquerque back in like 2006, 2005. Ali was a judo champion from Egypt. That guy knows how to fight, man. I've seen him fight. That guy, I won't fight that guy. And I'll fight anybody. But I won't fight Ali because Ali would kick my ass. Well, Ali's a badass fighter. You know, so when, when he slaps somebody on a fucking, at the PFL event, good for him. Because you know what? When Nate Diaz slaps somebody, nobody questions it, Right. Right. Ali is Nate Diaz. He just happens not to be a professional fighter. He's a manager, but he can fight. So you're saying, and this is for the folks that are listening, if you're in the fight game, you're committed, if you are a true martial artist, then speak your mind. Speak your mind and back it up with your hands. Fantastic. Mike, we're about a minute before we get cut off. Is there anything you want to say in the last 45 seconds? Yeah, wrap it up. I want to say Misha Tate should be in the UFC Hall of Fame. 100%. That woman deserves it. I was there when she was fighting Ronda Rousey. 
Ronda Rousey is a legend. I love Ronda Rousey, not just because I wrote a book about her, but I love Ronda Rousey. She's a legend, but she couldn't be a legend without that rivalry. Chuck Liddell couldn't be a legend without Tito Ortiz. Chuck Liddell couldn't be a legend without Randy Couture. Everybody needs a rival to bring them up to legendary status. Nate Diaz would not have been a legend without Conor McGregor. 100%. You nailed it. I agree with that. With Misha, the the rival with everything. I hope that we aren't rivals, that we continue to make beautiful sounds. We're about 10 seconds here, Mike. I can't wait for our next episode. Again, thank you for the knowledge and all the stories. Until next time. Enjoy the fights. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.